is like? What, are the, what is the kind of person like who belongs to the kingdom of heaven? What is their righteousness like? It is a righteousness we, experience, we hear from Jesus that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. He, Jesus lays out what the spiritual disciplines look like in the kingdom, what prayer looks like, what fasting looks like, what giving to the needy looks like. He's explaining what life looks like for those who hear His Word and, trusting by faith alone in Him, enter into that kingdom and put into practice what they hear. And if you recall, before Easter, uh, we heard Jesus tell us to do certain things, that if we're in the kingdom, if we're uh, part of uh, Jesus' movement, if we're His disciples, then we will practice certain things, we will give to the needy, we will pray, and we will fast. And then we also, then Jesus kind of turned uh, His focus and is now commanding us not to do certain things. Having told us to do certain things, He's now telling us to refrain from, to stay away from, to stop doing certain things. And we, this is the third one of those. We heard Him say in, in Matthew 6, 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. We heard Him say in Matthew 6, 25, do not worry about your life and... Now, coming to our text this evening, this third uh, warning from Jesus, this third commandment not to do something, He says here, do not judge or judge not. But yet, I don't know about you, if we think about it for a moment, um, storing up treasures in, on earth or worrying about life or judging, each of these things is something that we all of us naturally tend towards and easily fall into. I easily, I easily fall into thinking about worldly wealth, thinking about worldly possessions. I easily worry about life, about the coming week even, uh, the coming month, the coming year. I worry about my, my wife, my kids, my, my life. I, I naturally fall into that. And I naturally tend to judge. I think that I would not be alone in that. We, we all of us tend to, to value treasure here on earth, that is money and wealth, and, and, and the sins that go with that are sins that we can fall, fall into easily, greed, envy, jealousy. And we all of us tend to worry. No one, I was thinking about this, no one has to be taught how to worry. We all do it, and so we fall into the sins that go along with worry, unbelief in the promise and goodness of God, and when we sideline as seeking after God's kingdom, we place that uh, on the as a second priority and don't seek it first. And all of us tend naturally to judge other people. We do it all the time. Um, within seconds of meeting someone for the first time, we're already making judgments about them. Have you noticed that? We do it all, almost automatically. We, we judge their appearance, their speech, uh, how they dress, how they speak, their grammar, their vocabulary, their pronunciation. I should say their pronunciation. Sorry, did you just judge me there on that one? Jeez, everyone's... We judge people's education, where they went to school, whether if they studied or not, did they do a, uh, some kind of um, tertiary education or, or job uh, or um, trade training. We judge people on their intelligence, their physical uh, appearance, physical strength, their wealth. But it's not just the externals that we judge people on, we also judge people's behavior all the time, all the time we're watching what other people do in any given situation, even here at church, at, a, at the fellowship after church, in our workplaces, we're judging what people do, but we're also judging what they don't do, what we expect them to do and then they don't end up doing. We, we judge how they do things. 
uh, we judge when they do things. Why did they do it then and not before? Or, you know, it seems late to be doing that. When we also judge them when they don't do it. But it also doesn't stop there. It's not even just people's behavior that we judge. We tend to judge people's motives. And this is where it gets, this is where we get right to the heart of the issue that Jesus is talking about here. We don't just judge the externals, we judge people's motives. We think that we're in a position to to make a judgment on why people do things, on what they've thought about before they take a certain decision or a course of action. We think that we're in a position to judge their thoughts and their intentions, their emotions, and on it goes. A part of this, of course, is natural and helpful, normal and wise. We need to make certain judgments about people very quickly in order to ascertain, for example, whether we're safe with a person. If you're walking home alone at night, particularly if you're a woman, and you see a figure coming towards you on the street, you need to make that judgment really quickly. Is this person a threat or is it safe? That's a normal, wise course of action. We judge whether somebody is trustworthy or deceitful in a business partnership or even when we're doing group work together in a course of study. Is this person going to let me down on the day of the, of the um, presentation or are they going to pull their weight and be part of the group here in what we're studying? That's a, that's a wise decision to make. When we meet people, for example, here at church, we, we make judgments. Is this person, from the character I see, is this a potential friend, even a potential spouse, potential partner in some ministry or venture, or does this person seem unreliable, that they're going to be a drain on my time and resources? That's wisdom. That's normal. That's good. But Jesus is speaking here of a different kind of judgment, but one in which we all of us fall very easily, and it's the danger, and we see that as we go through the text this evening of becoming hypocritical judges. Did you hear that when Jesus spoke there? He said at one point, you hypocrite. So, Jesus is talking about the danger of us becoming hypocritical judges, that is of applying double standards. Don't you hate that in life when you're in a situation and, and you see there's a double standard at work, that, that, or sorry, at play, I should say, that, that things are run one way for some people and another way for others? That's a double standard. And it sort of gets at our sense of justice and fairness. But that's basically what being a hypocritical judge is, that we apply a double standard. We judge others harshly and ourselves softly. We take offense at what other people do against us, but we seek to give ourselves, you know, a get-out-of-jail-free card, an excuse for when we maybe do bad things against others. We are uncompromising and unmerciful to others. If someone else is late and they let us down, then, oh, that's really frustrating and annoying. But when we arrive late, then we're full of excuses and we want to be accepted. Have mercy on me, please, that I was late. We want to receive the manifest mercy of God for ourselves, but then we want to push every last penny from those who wrong us. That's the kind of judging that Jesus is warning us about here. And so, if, as we look at this section of the text, uh, Matthew 7, 1 through 6, from Jesus' word from the mount, I think there are two things in our text this evening that Jesus is enjoining upon us as His disciples, two things that we need to go away with here tonight, having hopefully taken in, and we can be asking the Spirit to apply them in our lives this week. Number one, Jesus is warning us of this dangerous kind of judgment. This is a warning text. He, he wants each of us, if we call, him, call us call ourselves His disciples, He wants us to pause and consider well our situation before we judge. In fact, He wants us to judge ourselves rightly first, and that means that we need to know our own sin, 
our own desperate need of His grace, our own lack of righteousness, our own fickle weakness first. We need to be aware of that before we ever even think to apply any judgment to a brother or sister. That's the first thing. That's the first thing that Jesus is enjoining upon us. And secondly, and this is challenging, I think despite that warning, and indeed after we have well and truly taken that warning to heart, I think Jesus does want us to be able to judge righteous, righteously, and that means to be able to carefully remove specks from each other's eyes. I think Jesus does want us to be able to remove specks from each other's eyes. Judging ourselves rightly is the process of taking that huge plank or log out of our own eyes so that, as Jesus says here in our text, here in verses five, uh, 4 and 5, so that we can see clearly. Jesus wants us to be able to see clearly so we can take that speck out of each other's eyes. So those are the two things, and let's look at them together. So sober judgment is required. That's point number one, sober judgment is required. Let's begin here at verse one, and we read Jesus' words. He says this, judge not that you be not judged. Judge not that you be not judged. This is a sober warning from Jesus about judging, about all kinds of judging. What, is, what Jesus is really saying here, it's almost set up as like a, a, a proverb or, a, or, an, or a, um, a maxim. Those who judge, this is a, a way the world works, whether we like it or not, this is the way the world works. Those who judge, whether they're appointed to do so, like judges in courts of law, or those who take it upon themselves to judge, like our media in many, many ways, those who, who judge will tend to be judged themselves. And we know this from our own experience. When judgments come down from the courts or from our politicians, we judge them, we evaluate them, we scrutinize them. That's what happens, that's how the world works. If you judge, Jesus is saying, beware, you will be judged in turn. Watch out, you're going to be judged. You need to be thinking about this. Now, Jesus is not saying that any evaluation of any kind by Christians is wrong or sinful. I'll say that again, that's important, because this is one of the most misapplied Bible texts, I think, ever. Um, Jesus is not saying that any evaluation, any judgment of, of any kind by Christians is wrong or sinful, because this has really been, this misapplication of thinking that, of saying any time any Christian makes any kind of judgment must be wrong or sinful, because look, Jesus says don't judge, that's just been a disaster for the unity and the health and the vitality of the church, because it's allowed things like false doctrine uh, or unbelief or just lunacy, craziness, um, disobedience to the ethical demands of the Christian life to simply go unchecked, because as soon as somebody says, hey, wait a minute, then this verse gets thrown in their face as if to say, don't judge, you're not allowed to judge, you're not allowed to say that. But that can't be true, can't be true, because in John 7, 24, for example, Jesus says, Jesus Himself says, don't judge by appearances, but do judge with right judgment. So, Jesus tells us there that we should be making judgments with right judgment. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 12, hey, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church, unbelievers, as in God will judge them, where to judge those inside the church? So, again, here, there's a judgment that needs to take place in a church to keep it healthy. And in 1 John 4, the Apostle John says this, he says, 
dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test. That is, you need to make an evaluation, you need to judge the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. How would I know a prophet is false unless I can make a judgment about their prophecy? So, I think it's clear, Jesus is not saying that any evaluation of any kind is off the books and out of place. This is clear when we get to verse 2 in our text this evening. Jesus gives us the measure here, or the standard, by which those who judge will themselves be judged. Verse 2, look with it, look at it with me, if you will. Verse 2, Jesus says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. As so often in the Bible, in the Christian life, it's not a question of, of whether, it's not a question of whether we'll do any judging at all, but how will we do that judging? Will we have that right judgment that Jesus talks about in John, or will we be hypocritical judges that Jesus is warning us about here? What standard or measure will we apply when we make judgments? Well, Jesus says it here, we should judge with the measure that we ourselves would like to receive should we stand under judgment. You know, this is a good way of, um, in parenting, you know, if you have multiple kids and one kid has done something wrong and another kid comes to me and says, I want my brother punished, then I can ask them, all right, by what stand, like what measure should I lay on your brother here? Bearing in mind that the next time he comes to me and asks for you to be punished, I'm going to lay the same measure on you. You understand? That might cause him to think for a moment, hmm, do I really want the harshest punishment against my brother now? knowing that next week when I do something wrong and he comes to me and says, Dad, can you punish him now? He's going to get the same measure. That's what Jesus is saying here. We should judge others with a measure that we would like to receive when we stand under judgment. We should judge as we want to be judged. In other words, again, no double standards, no hypocrisy, no one harsh and, sta harsh and hard standard for others and then a light and livable standard for me. That would be a double standard. So, what standard should we want to be judged by? Is a question that I asked, and I found this thought helpful, and it goes like this. As Christians, we should want to be judged according to, number one, the perfect law of God, number two, applied through the gracious gospel of Jesus Christ. We should want to be judged by the perfect law of God applied through the gracious gospel of Jesus Christ. Why would I say that? Well, uh, if I stand in before, if I'm standing under judgment, I want to be judged by a just and fair law, not an unfair, unjust law, and none such better law exists than God's perfect law. But I also know that if I stand under God's law, that I will be judged guilty. All of us will be judged guilty. And therefore, I want God's perfect law to be applied on the basis of the gracious gospel of Jesus Christ who takes my guilt and my punishment on Himself, and your guilt and your punishment if you trust in Him. In other words, He shows us mercy. He's merciful. And so, if that's how we should want to be judged, then that's the measure we should also take when we judge others. We should judge fairly, justly, but mercifully. But the, the danger that Jesus makes clear here in verses three through, three through five 
You're judging my pronunciation again. It's the pitfall we so easily fall into. Do you remember the servant, uh, the, the parable of the unmerciful servant that Jesus tells in Matthew 18? You remember that servant? He goes into the king and the king says, you owe me this massive debt. And the servant says, please, please have mercy. Give me some time to pay it off. And then the king says to him, look, I'll forget the debt. I'll cancel it all. You're forgiven. You're free. Go. And then what happens? The servant is barely out of the presence of the king. He's on his way out when he runs into a fellow servant who owes him just a few dollars, we might say, and almost nothing in comparison. And he says, hang on, you owe me a debt. And this second servant says, hey, sorry, I don't have it with me right now. Can you give me a chance to pay it off? And the servant who's just been forgiven this most massive debt says, no, I won't forgive you anything. You are going to be thrown into prison right now until you've worked off the debt. Well, that's the pitfall we fall into. That's what Jesus is talking about here. We love to receive the mercy of God for ourselves, and then almost immediately afterwards, even on our way out of the very presence of God, we set aside that mercy when it comes to how we look at others, how we judge them. And we, dem- we want kind of the full demand of the law to be applied to everyone else, that everyone else be really held to a higher standard. We want the full repayment of every last cent. What we desire God to forgive and overlook in ourselves, whether it be lateness, which is really not a big thing, or something more serious than that, whatever we desire God to forgive and overlook in ourselves is often what we refuse to overlook and forgive in others. And that's what Jesus is warning us about here when He says, hey, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, that little thing in his, your brother's eye, and that you pay no attention to the plank sticking out of your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In his illustration here, it's interesting, um, I've never seen a person with a plank of wood protruding from their eye. I think that's designed to make me understand that Jesus is using hyperbole here, He's, he's deliberately creating a ludicrous situation. I can see some people in the audience tonight have seen that and are laughing even now at the memory of it. No, Jesus is saying, why does Jesus say the plank's in our eye? Because He's talking about moral perception. It, it's not so much that the speck is a small sin and the plank is a great sin, it's about the degree to which our perception, our ability to see clearly is hampered, hindered, disturbed. What Jesus is saying is when we forget the massive debt that God has forgiven us in Christ and we start judging those around us with all law and no gospel, all law and no, no mercy, then it's like we're morally blind. We can't see clearly. It's so ludicrous, it's as ludicrous as if we were walking around with a four-by-two protruding out of our eyeball. And the idea that we, with that four by two, with that plank of wood, could be in any position to help someone who's got a speck of sawdust in their eye see more clearly is ludicrous. Jesus wants us to see that. It's ludicrous because our perception is completely wrong. It's exactly wrong with the servant. The servant has just no perception of what this massive debt that's just been forgiven him by the king, and then he's, tr- then he's trying to deal with the tiny debt of his fellow servant. It's ludicrous. We need to get that plank out of our own eye. How do we do that? 
how do we get the plank out of our own eye? Well, let me give you two verses to help. Let me give us two verses to help us. And first one is Romans 12, verse 3. Romans 12, verse 3, and it's up on the screen now if you want to read it. Paul writes this to the church at Rome. He says, For the, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Sober judgment, that's what's going to help us get this plank out of our eye. Uh, sober, uh, the Greek word there, refers to sound understanding, a sound mind, being able to see and think clearly. In other words, not having a mind that is clouded by alcohol or addled by drugs or hampered by having a pounding headache. Do you know how hard it is to make right judgments when, you're, when you've had a few too many to drink or you're high on drugs or your head is throbbing? If you can answer yes to all three of those, then I'd like to hear your testimony. <laughs> no, I, I jest. Don't judge me for it. Um, it's hard to, to see things as they clearly are, if that's the case. So, Paul's saying here, we shouldn't be thinking too highly of ourselves, and I would add, nor thinking too lowly of ourselves. We should see a sober judgment is to see things as they really are, as, re as they correspond to reality, the correspondence view of truth. That is, we see ourselves as Christians as we really are quorum Deo, that is, before the face of God. Because God is ultimately um, the one who defines what reality is. That is, we see ourselves as created in the image of God to glorify Him. We have intrinsic value and dignity. We're created for fellowship with each other, yet we also see that we are fallen and sinful. We're in need of grace and mercy and redemption. And when we receive that grace and mercy, we're still in the process of being transformed into the likeness of Christ. That, that's a sober view of ourselves, an understanding of both the, the goodness that God has given us in creating us in His image, the dignity He has given us as His image bearers, but also the, 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 the fallenness and the sinfulness that affects our race, and also the knowledge that even when we come to Christ, uh, it's a process of transformation, it's not instantaneous. And that is, when we have a sober judgment of ourselves, each one of us of ourselves, we know, we look at ourselves and we see both the good and the bad. That's why it's not, it's not good to only see the bad, but neither is it healthy to see only the good. We see both victories in our life, where the gospel is making progress, where the Spirit is at work, but we also see setbacks. We see virtues that by God's grace we're growing in. Maybe we're a thief and now we're growing in honesty. That's, a, that's something good. We can we can celebrate that victory in our lives, but we also see vices whereby God's grace we are yet to lay them aside, but entangling, besetting sins, as Hebrews talks about, where we have to go again and again to the throne of grace and ask for God's forgiveness. So we see our own strengths, but also our own faults and weaknesses, and so we know where we stand in need of the grace and mercy of God. That's a sober judgment. We need, all of us need to have that sober judgment if we want to remove that plank from our own eye. That is, if we want to be able to see clearly. And that brings us to our second verse. So, we need to have a sober judgment. Secondly, Micah 6 verse 8, 
probably know this verse, one of the most famous verses from the Minor Prophets. It says here, God has shown you, O mortal or O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I want to just zoom in on that phrase, love mercy, for a moment. That's, that's why I've come here to Micah 6, verse 8. Getting that plank out of our own eyes, that is, getting a sober judgment, being able to see clearly and think clearly, it, it means that we, we need to be a people who love mercy. And not just love mercy for ourselves, and thank God that you're merciful to me, God, but who love mercy for others too. Think about the um, eldest son in the parable of the prodigal son. It's the prodigal who comes back and, and, and loves the mercy that his father gives him when he comes back from a foreign land, having been feeding the pigs and having squandered his father's inheritance. And it's the, the eldest son who's in fact been true to his father all through the years, has stayed faithful, building up the, his father's household, but who doesn't love mercy for his younger brother. He understands it, but he doesn't love it. So it's not just that we be a people who love mercy for ourselves, we have to love mercy for others. We love the mercy that we've received from our gracious God, who's slow to anger and rich in love. And we love that the, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven is a gospel of mercy. And so we love to extend the mercy that we have received to others, to show mercy as we have been shown mercy. And, and that's why I say, and that's what God requires of us, to love mercy. That's what it says here in Micah 6, 8. You, we need to love mercy. So I say this because I think this is maybe short, shortly said, but maybe takes time to, um, to um, process, digest, and, and, and put into practice. It's, it's not enough to know mercy. It's not enough to know mercy in your own life. You need to love it. You need to love mercy if you want to get that plank out of your eye. So, having seen now, I hope you've borne with me and we've seen that we need to have a sober judgment of ourselves, we need to love mercy, that is, we need to know our own sin and weakness and fickleness, we need to know how much we need God's mercy and therefore we love God's mercy and therefore we want other people to have that same experience of God's mercy, that's how we get that plank out of our eyes. But Jesus does want us to be able to judge rightly. He wants us to take the plank out of our own eyes. He doesn't want us to simply be resigned to say, everyone I know has got a plank out of their eye, we'll just walk around with planks, bumping into each other and say no more about it. He wants us to get that plank out so that we can help each other get those specks out. He wants us to be able to carefully remove specks from each other's eyes. But maybe, maybe this needs a defense for some of you. Because maybe you think, hey, this getting specks out of other people's eyes sounds really pedantic, almost anal. Sounds like, you know, I mean, I'm getting involved in things that are none of my business. And maybe you think, hey, mind your own business. Who are you to think that you could remove some speck from my eye? Who are you to think that you could speak into my life? Well, two things I would say to defend this. Firstly, if we really love another person, then we should be concerned with a speck in their eye. Um, we all know that it's painful to have something in your eye, even if it's just a small thing. So, 
It's about love. It's about saying that person has a speck in their eye and I would like to remove that speck because I love that person and I want them to be relieved of that pain. It's not about busybody or intervening where I'm not wanted. It's, a, it's about love. And secondly, as certainly I've experienced um, many times over the years, because um, I don't wear sunglasses enough, is that it's hard to get a speck out of your own eye, isn't it? Especially if you don't have a mirror. Because weirdly enough, even though the speck is in your eye, which is the organ of seeing, you can't see the speck. Have you ever had that experience? <laughs> it's very frustrating. You, you, the speck is actually on the organ of sight, but you can't see it. That's why you need a mirror, and even then with a mirror, sometimes your eye is so you know, inflamed or, or watery that you can't see the speck clearly. It's often that we need somebody else to look at our eye and take the speck out for us because we can't see it clearly ourselves. In other words, we need each other. This might be, it's certainly hard, it's sometimes frustrating, it's sometimes exhausting, but Jesus has designed His church this way, that we need each other. He uses brothers and sisters in our lives to help us grow in Him, and that includes taking specks out of our eyes. Can't do it alone. We need others in our life. But at the same time, anyone who's been in any Christian fellowship for any length of time, they will have experienced how badly this can go. This can go really badly when well-meaning people try and um, perform this kind of speck removal. And maybe they don't come with a, the right implement, but they come in with, you know, a fist. It can go badly. So how do we then re um, remove those specks from each other's eyes? How do we make just and right judgments and so help each other? Let me give us um, four guidelines for removing specks from each other's eyes. And again, let me emphasize, this is really important because there is so much potential for abuse here. This is only to be done by those who've judged themselves rightly, who have that sober judgment. This is only to be done by those who love mercy and love mercy not just for themselves from God, but want that mercy to go to others too. You don't have to be perfect. Jesus is not saying here you have to be perfect before you do this. But if you are living in unrepentant sin, then you have no business correcting anybody. Even if what you see in another person is right, if you're living in unrepentant sin, you're not qualified to remove any specks. You need to go to repent and seek God's mercy first. So with that qualifier out of the way, here are four guidelines for a right measure of judgment. How do we help each other by removing specks from each other's eyes? That is correcting each other's faults. Four guidelines. Number one, the standard of truth, the standard of truth. To judge rightly, to, to come to a right judgment on, a, on where another person's at, on our brother or sister, you've got to judge against the st standard of truth. If there is no standard of truth, obviously, then if everyone has their own truth, then there can be no judgment at all, because that person would say, well, whatever I'm doing, it might be wrong in your truth, but in my truth, it's fine. There can be no judgment at all if there's no standard of tr truth. But also, if you judge against the wrong standard, then you're going to judge wrongly. So the question becomes, what is the standard of truth? This is not going to surprise you. I would say only the Word of God is a trustworthy standard. When we make judgments, just judgments to help each other, the only the Word of God is a trustworthy standard. It's not our feelings or emotions. It's not our intuitions or our instincts. It's not our 
strongly held opinions or deeply held beliefs. It's not popular opinion, nor academic or scientific consensus or even political decree. It's only God's Word that defines for us the standard. What needs correction and what does not need correction? What is a sin and what is not a sin? And that's so important that we get that right. And that, that, that has to come down right down to the very, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of everyday life. If you're sitting in a small group with somebody and they might be annoying you, and you think, I really need to correct that person now, I need to get that speck out of their eye, what's the standard by which they're, they're doing something wrong? Is it just your feeling, they're annoying you? Or is what they're doing wrong, defined as wrong by the one standard of truth, God's Word? Secondly, so that's the first one. Secondly, get the facts straight. Get the facts straight. You know, it's not enough to have the right standard of truth if you don't know what happened or you have no evidence of what's happened. We know from Scripture that things are to be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. An allegation or a hunch or a feeling that something bad has happened or something wrong has taken place is not enough, nor is the sentiment of social media enough. Right judgment cannot happen when we simply think, or if Twitter thinks, that something is true or someone is wrong. God's standard requires that we have reasonable evidence of something being true in order to give a just judgment. So we need to get the facts straight. Number three, this is 1 Corinthians 16, 14. All that you do, says Paul, do in love. All that you do, do in love. It's not enough to have God, this is where so many Christians, let's say, go wrong. It's not enough to have God's Word as the standard of truth and to have the facts straight if your motives are wrong and in all over the shop. If you're grabbing at a speck in your brother or sister's eye, if you're correcting them for something in your life because you secretly envy them and you want to bring them down a peg or two, or you're constantly comparing yourself to them and you want to feel better about yourself, and you think, if I correct them and bring them down a bit, I'll feel better about myself. Or if you think doing something like this would make you look to others as a very wise and spiritual person, wow, you know, he's a corrector. Then you need to cease. That's wrong motives. That's not being done in love. The only permissible motivation in Christian um, ethics is love. Love your brother or sister, and because you love them, you want them to be free of this speck, you want them to be free of this sin, and to be therefore be free to grow in grace, to be more fruitful for the kingdom of heaven. That's got to be the motive. So, all that you do, do in love. And guideline number four for a just and right judgment is get the tone right. Get the tone right. Even if love is your motivation, even if you're acting on the facts and not some kind of hunch, even if God's Word is your standard, how you speak to your brother or sister matters. It matters how you speak, how you say it. It's more than possible to say the right thing wrongly. It is so possible to say the right thing wrongly in the wrong way. And it requires great wisdom and prayer, that's where we come back to a sober judgment of ourselves. We need to be wise 
having a sober judgment of ourselves to know human nature. We need to be, need great wisdom. We need often to pray to, to, to seek the Lord's wisdom, and we often, depending on the nature of the correction, we need to seek counsel. How do you think, you could ask a trusted friend, how do you think I should go about this? How do you think I should help so-and-so with this, with this fault? And, and in saying this, I'm not saying that everything always has to be said nicely, you know, as in really like puppy dogs and rainbows. That's not the case. You can, we can get the tone wrong in both directions. There are times, though, when our brother or sister needs a gentle reminder, just to, us to come alongside and say, hey, I want to encourage you. There are times when gentleness is the right way to do it, and if we come in harshly, then we've lost our brother or sister. But there are times... There are times in my life where I know if my brother came up to me with a gentle word, it wouldn't help me. I need a strong rebuke. I need someone to look me in the eye and say, Sam, you need to stop this and you need to change direction. We need to get the tone right, and that's why we need wisdom. I know that sometimes I need to be more clearly confronted with the truth. So we need to get the tone right. So those are the four. When we come to make right judgments, we need to have a standard of truth, which is God's Word. We need to get the facts straight, not about our hunches or our feelings, we need to be motivated by love, and we need to think carefully about how we communicate, which communication is necessary. And, you know, this is, I've said in a number of sermons here through this series, um, this is not just some kind of little takeaway homework thing for Christians to do. This, this has relevance to our society, because our society does not judge justly. And we, as a people of God, need to show out a society how to judge justly. Our society has all manner of standards constantly changing that people are held up against and judged against. Our society is often totally uninterested in the facts or in actually understanding people correctly. They're simply interested in deliberately misunderstanding people. They act on hunches and feelings and allegations. No need for things to be established by two or three witnesses. People have their reputations destroyed on social media before any facts have been put before a court of law. Love is not the motivation, but rather scandal or sensationalism or envy or pride. And the tone is, as I've said already, all over the shop. So we, this, is, this affects society. We want to be salt and light, as we heard at the beginning of this sermon. Uh, the, not this sermon, but, you know, Jesus' sermon. We want to be salt and light. We can model to the world how true judgment done in love and truth can look. So this is so relevant to our time. And so before we conclude now, there's one little verse that we've left out till now, that enigmatic little verse at the end, Matthew 7, 6, about dogs and pigs. Been a lot of agriculture today, I feel, logging. This morning we were talking about John 15 and grape growing. So here we are with dogs and pigs. This is Matthew 7, 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample, trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What do we do with this verse? I think this verse helps us understand that what Jesus has been talking about in these first five verses about judging and how to do that properly, how to properly and carefully take the specks out of each other's eyes, He's been talking about doing that as Christians, as members of the Kingdom of Heaven, not judgments outside the Kingdom. That's what this verse is referring to. Now, it's um, dogs and pigs is, is pejorative, it's derogatory, it's insulting. And it's important that we understand Jesus here. Um, that's his example of Jesus getting the tone right, even though we might think, oh, I wouldn't have said it that way. 
This is not saying, by saying don't give dogs what is sacred, um, we shouldn't preach the gospel to unbelievers, that would be both ludicrous and a direct contradiction of what Jesus commands elsewhere, where He says, go to all the nations and make disciples. But I think what Jesus is saying here is, dogs and swine, or pigs, are those, or they stand in for those people who, after the gospel is being preached to them, they retain their, their vicious and indifferent nature towards the precious gospel of Jesus Christ. They, they don't recognize the preciousness of the gospel of grace, and so, like pigs trampling pearls in the mud, because they don't recognize the preciousness of it, they're going to trample it underfoot in the mud. And basically, what Jesus is saying is, is when the gospel's preached, there are going to be those who don't receive it. And this verse shows us that when it comes to correcting or making right judgments, we're not to seek to correct those who refuse to receive the gospel. That's not what this is about. What this text has been about is building each other up within the kingdom, within the church, to, to try and bring godly correction and judgment to a person whose hard heart has not received the gospel and they don't understand the preciousness of the kingdom of God, that is a fruitless and pointless exercise. It's like throwing pearls before swine. In such cases, Jesus is saying, we can pray for them, but we also can let it go. We can be free to move on. We can give them over to God and let God look after that. I think that's what Jesus is saying here in verse 6, that we shouldn't worry when it comes to this about giving dogs what is sacred or throwing our pearls to pigs because they don't understand the preciousness of the gospel of mercy and grace. All right, let's, let's finish now. We want to take, we, I've just said it a few moments ago, this is not just relevant for us, this is relevant for our society. Um, this is so relevant for our society in this time and we need to show true justice the way that God has given us justice, justice that is fair according to God's law, that takes God's definition of what is wrong and right, what is good and evil, but also uh, the justice of the gospel is a justice that is merciful and gracious. There is forgiveness. There is reconciliation. We don't have to stay in our guilt forever without any possible recourse to reconciliation or forgiveness. And so we want to take the words of Jesus seriously. We're, we're His disciples. We're the citizens of His kingdom. We're the ambassadors to the nations. This matters. So let's take Jesus' warning to heart. Let's always judge ourselves first, soberly, humbly, not forgetting the mercy we've received, indeed loving that mercy and desiring others to experience it. And in practicing this, let's, let's judge with the right measure. You see, we, there are a couple of mistakes we could make here. We could say, it's all just too hard. It's all just too hard, too complicated. If I try and correct anyone in my life, in, in, in the church, then they just get upset, they get offended, it's weird, it's awkward, and we cut ourselves off from that. We need to actually have hearts that are open to being corrected by brothers and sisters. That's the first stage. But if we, if we cut ourselves off from that, we're cutting ourselves off from a way that God desires to bring us to maturity, and God desires to show the world what true justice applied in love and mercy looks like. We need to practice this. So let's do that, not according to the whims of the mob or the allegations or the, or the Chinese whispers that happen at home group or the standards of the day or whatever, but let's do it out of love for our brothers and sisters and love for Christ and His Word. So with that said, let me pray now uh, for us in that. Lord Jesus, we, we thank You for this Word. We thank You that you, um, that you don't hold the truth back from us, that You're 
you're, you're willing to give us uh, the, the whole truth, the, the unvarnished truth about, about life in your kingdom, uh, about human nature, about fallen nature, about our redemption and, and restoration and our growth. And, and we thank you that you've designed us uh, to live in, in community and in fellowship and, and you use these relationships to bring us to spiritual maturity and we don't want to cut ourselves off from that. But nor, Lord, do we want to misuse that and abuse that and cause harm and hurt uh, that can go very deep and, and remain for, for, very, for very many years. So we pray your Holy Spirit would give us wisdom in these things. We pray that you give us faith to believe this word and accept this word. We pray that you give us a, a strong understanding of our identity in Christ, that we are safe in our identity in you, that we, that we are not thrown about when a brother or sister uh, lovingly tries to correct us. And we pray, Lord, that in a world where we are losing touch of what real justice is and what a fair trial is and what a fair process is and what uh, fair testimony is, that, that we could live this out in such a way as to be salt and light in this time. Amen. Well, let me invite you guys to stand. <laughs>